So today we finish our series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And over the last three weeks, we have been exploring the connection between Christian joy and suffering. And Paul's letter to the young church in Philippi is inspired teaching for us about how to go through tough times. So do we have a theology of, for suffering? <clears throat> do you have a theology for suffering in any way? And I'm not asking whether we can explain suffering philosophically. In fact, philosophy rarely helps people who are facing trials and tribulations. <laughs> Just ask Job, right? Instead, I'm asking whether we, are, as followers of Jesus, can go through hard times Christianly. Christianly. This is the subject of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us about finding joy in Jesus through good times or bad times. I hope you've been able to take time to read and reread this letter. It's a very short letter, just four chapters. And these chapters are short and loaded with inspiration from the Holy Spirit for our daily lives. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Chock full of just practical lessons, practical advice, and how to live your life as a Christian. And reading and rereading the letter of Philippians will give us greater and greater revelation from God for each one of us and our church family as well as we go through life. But what a gift the Bible is to us, guidance in our life, God's direction, the Holy Spirit leading us and teaching us. And what a gift Paul's letter to the Philippian is to us as well. Now today we'll, we'll look at the fourth and final chapter of this great letter. We're going to focus on learning how to deal with tough times by living a life of generous friendship. Now, as we look at this fourth chapter, <clears throat> I think we can discover four points on the benefits of living in generous relationship with one another. Then we'll follow that with three additional points about how to take action. What can we do to have this happen, being in, uh, living a life of generous friendship? So we can discover the beauty of, of a life of generous friendship as we look at this fourth chapter. So let's take a big chunk of this chapter and then break it down. So turn with me, if you haven't yet, to Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at the first nine verses. And uh, so you look for Philippians, find the Gospels in the New Testament, go past the Gospels in Acts and Romans, First and Second Corinthians. You'll get to Galatians, Ephesians, and then finally Philippians. And there we'll look at chapter 4, the first nine verses. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And we'll stop right there. So let's get started in this and look at the benefits of living in generous friendship. And I think one of the things we can see here in these first nine verses is that we need to, be, we need to agree with each other. We need to agree with each other. Now, Paul takes time in this teaching letter to urge two women in that church at Philippi to be of the same mind, to agree with each other in that way. It's, it's important that we agree with each other. God's people should learn how to get along with one another. And talking about God's people, not just within this church, but God's people. <laughs> this isn't an agreement in doctrine, although doctrine is important. Paul has already cautioned us to be aware of bad theology. Here he's talking about Christian harmony. Harmony. Musical term, Becky's familiar with that, as she guides her choir and leads it in the different songs that they're supposed to be singing. They are to harmonize and bring the music to the people in that way. Now, while doctrine is important, it is, it is possible to get the words right, but to get the music wrong in our relationships with one another. Again, North Clackamas Christian School Choir does competitions, as you are well aware. And um, in state competitions, they have one aspect of it is the singing part, performance. The other aspect of it is sight reading. And there have been some years that the choir has done quite well, and some years they have not done very well at all. And in that sight reading time, they have to take the music, they look at it, and she gets to direct it in a, um, in a, in a way that, the, that follows the rules. She can't do a whole bunch. And so the students, the choir, has, they have to sight read the different songs. They've got a number of different songs at different levels of difficulty in that way. And when they do that, in the, in the years that they've done well, they've, they've, read the, they, they've read the words and the music and harmonized wonderfully. In the years they didn't do well in sight reading, they, they got the words, but the music wasn't quite right. When that happens in our lives, in our church, among other believers, we can get the words right. But if we don't have the harmony among one another, it still is a clanky thing. It, it doesn't work well. We need to agree with you. We need to be in harmony with each other. And notice too that Paul doesn't only ask these two women to get along. He asks other leaders in the church to help them agree with each other. It's not just those two people. Others are supposed to come around and say, yeah, you should work this out. This needs to, we need to find a solution for you guys. See, Christian unity is everyone's business. Everyone should be aware of what's going on. How you deal with that, then that's the, that's the touchy thing you need to be careful with. But we all have a stake in our unity. And when we see brothers and sisters in our church that cannot agree with one another, our response shouldn't be to merely just kind of shake our heads and to, to judge them for their situation. We should be part of the solution and help them to agree with one another. 
If you've seen people on social media posting weird things and you're thinking that's not consistent with what they believe or that's not consistent with what we believe and what we're following, my advice for you is don't fix it on social media. Don't go and, and just post something again. Go to them personally, call them up, visit them, whatever it is, but personally approach that situation. But we agree with each other. Another benefit of living in generous friendship is we rejoice in the Lord. Notice that Paul does not say, cheer up. <laughs> Things will get better. Cheer up. Rejoicing is something else altogether. Joy is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in a group of people. Joy is a sign of God's kingdom made evident here on the earth right now. Joy goes beyond mere happiness and gives us a little bit of heaven. You see, Happiness involves the happenings around us. When situations are great, we can be happy. When the situations, the happenings around us aren't so great, we aren't so happy. But joy is a different thing. Joy is from the Lord. And so it, doesn't, it isn't based upon the happenings around us. So since the joy comes from the Lord, that should be a consistent thing in our lives, no matter what's going on around us. But joy is serious business. Joy helps the whole community to grow. And also, Paul is urging the people of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. The world will tell you that there are many things capable of giving us joy. But ultimately, our joy must rest in the Lord and nothing else. There's a, a progression here, a wisdom from the Spirit that Paul is sharing with us here. We must live together in Christian unity. And the wonder of Christian unity is that it gives us the ability to rejoice in the Lord together. Which brings us then to the third point in this passage that we have, is that the peace of God is available in Christian community. The peace of God. Verses 6 and 7, famous verses. It's impossible to live in anxiety if you are surrounded in joyful agreement with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. In fact, Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving. We should let our requests be made known to God. Now, this is useful advice for us as individuals, but it's powerful advice for a community of believers. Have you ever noticed how anxiety and worry can take hold of an entire community of people? But it, only, it starts with a small group or one person, and it just kind of spreads. It's like a social virus. Consider a herd of cows grazing close to an electric fence. If just one cow brushes up against that electric fence and receives a shock, the whole herd is startled. You can watch the surprise and fear work its way through every cow. What happened? How come, that, how come, how come Herman is jumping around right now? What's going on here? My point is simply to suggest that together we should not worry about anything, but together through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And together we will experience peace. The wonderful result is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Together. It's good news that the peace of God can guard my heart and my, and my mind individually. 
It's wonderful news that the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds together corporately. How powerful is the testimony of a peaceful and joyful community at rest in the goodness of God. In whatever difficulties or hardships or our community faces, a congregation can be an example of Christian joy and peace. Whatever happens around us, and it's not the fake, give them the smile, Jesus knows, and he will help you. But it's the, it's the, it's the, the, the faith and belief that, yeah, this is difficult times, but the faith and belief that God will supply. God will work it out. We have hope. We have God's joy in us, and we are able to be that, bring that hope to those people. Think of the people in Lahaina, Maui, as they're going through difficulties right now, and groups of, of, of Christians coming together to try to spread help and, and, and provide what needs to happen there. But sometimes provision comes in the way of, of mental health emotional stability. And if you don't have that, your life just kind of crumbles. And so Christian communities, churches, congregations can come together and be used by God as they continue to, to live out Philippians chapter 4 before the people there. The peace of God will come upon them. It's interesting when we go through difficulties and we forget all about this. It's interesting, and, and you know, it happens. We're human. We're human, and, and as we go through difficulties, we might fall back and go, wait a second, these, these things are insurmountable. How am I going to get through this next day? How am I going to get through this bad news? And then we need people around us to remind us, and that's where the corporately comes in together, in with us. Be reminded of what we know to be true. To be reminded of what Philippians 4 tells us and help us get back on track. Whatever difficulties or hardships our community faces, our congregation can be an example of Christian joy and peace. And this is important because one person who is at peace can be dismissed as an exception. Oh, that's, that's just Lyra. She's always happy. Always have. That's just Don. He just, he's, he's always like that. But if all of us trust the Lord and find our joy in the Lord that way, wow, that is a testimony. They can't say it's just Don or it's just whoever. It's the whole group. You can't dismiss an entire congregation peaceful, joyful, of people who live without anxiety. This kind of community is an example of the kingdom of God here on earth now. The Christian life is, is good for me as an individual, and the Christian life is impossible apart from me living in Christian community. You can't do it on your own. You might be able to do it for a little bit, but on a long haul, no way. No way. We need each other. So the benefits of living in generous friendship is that we agree with each other, we rejoice in the Lord, and we have the peace of God. One more benefit of living in generous friendship is to think about the whatevers. The whatevers. As part of our common speech these days to use the word whatever, 
Maybe you've heard of it from the younger generation, uh, but it's a way of dismissing the importance of something. That was a big game yesterday. Eh, well, whatever. That person, he talks really well. I think that, that, that politician is going to be going far away. Uh, whatever. But here the Apostle Paul gives us a new way to think about whatevers. Look with me in verses 8 and 9. Again, it will be on the, behind me on the screen. Finally, brothers, whatever is pure, excuse me, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So these whatevers are not like the world's whatevers. The world's whatevers teach us to minimize or disregard life-giving behaviors. Just shrug it off. But this list in Philippians is a life-giving list. These whatevers teach us to be like Jesus. And we should think on these things. What's more, we should do that together as well. One person may find purity and beauty and nobility and truth during a walk in the woods. Another person in our congregation here might see the very same qualities in a popular movie. Still, another person in our community may learn these admirable and praiseworthy traits through prayer and fasting. Together, we can learn about the whatevers and think about them. What makes these whatevers so powerful is that we can share them with one another when we come together. Remember, remember that this chapter is about living lives of generous friendship together in Christian community. So if God speaks anything true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy to one of us, it only makes sense that, that he or she should share with all of us. What have you learned this week? What's the whatever that you've learned today? And maybe that's something you might want to Join in with someone else. Weekly basis, downstairs in the fellowship time after church, and say, so, whatever is going on with you. <laughs> and maybe that might be a cue that you'd be able to share one of those whatevers as far as how God has been speaking to you and teaching you. Now, this list of four community traits, though, is all only the first half of this chapter of Philippians 4. Paul's reason for writing this letter was to acknowledge a generous gift that the church in Philippi had sent to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And it was a financial gift delivered along with a brother who had been tasked with serving Paul in whatever way Paul needed while in prison. And Paul was writing to acknowledge this gift. And through this letter, we learn the significance of living a life of genuine friendship. So let's look at these closing verses of uh, verses 10 through 20. And you'll need to use your Bible on this one. Verses 10 through 20. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we'll stop there. So in these verses, we have the opportunity to see Paul's personal response to the gift the Philippians had given him. And we get to see some things that are eternally true for any community of faith. Here are three important takeaways I want to share with you for, for us to learn how to live a life of genuine friendship. How do you do this? Well, we can find this here in these verses. How to live a life of genuine friendship. First, show true concern. Show true concern. How many times have you come to church and you've asked, how you doing? And waited for them to tell you, how you doing? It's those moments where we then show our concern. To be able to stop and wait and say, wow, if it's great news, that's great, and rejoice with them. If it's horrible news, stop and go, wow. And here's the other part, I'll pray for you. Maybe you say, let's pray about that right now. <laughs> Showing concern. We need to show true concern. The church of Philippi had plenty to worry about. The Roman Empire was engaged in the systematic persecution of Christians. But this church in Philippi didn't allow outside circumstances to get in uh, in that way, sh showing practical loving concern for the Apostle Paul. So they wanted to make sure they'd be able to show that concern to Paul. They didn't care what was going. They didn't care what was going on all around them. We think we are concerned when we are worrying about certain situations. We just wring our hands and we show we show concern that way. But in reality, we are truly concerned only when we are doing something about these situations. A church can have concern, but it doesn't become true concern until we show concern. The church in Philippi was definitely concerned about Paul's imprisonment, but they didn't stop at worry or anxiety. They received an offering and sent one of their best servants to both deliver the money to Paul and to look after his needs. And this is how any church should show concern, by taking action. And that's what I'm talking about. Take action to what you hear, what you receive from others, and be able to act upon that in some way as, as much as you're able to. Another way for us to learn how to live a life of genuine friendship is to learn the secret of contentment. Learn the secret of contentment. Now, surprisingly, Paul was already at peace in Rome even though he was in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, 
that would be difficult to find peace. But in verse 12 and 13, Paul says that he had learned the secret of contentment. And the secret was not like a, a life hack that you might find somewhere online or some kind of cheat code for a video game or something like that. This was a secret that Paul had gained by practical experience, by living day to day with Jesus Christ. God's secrets come over time through relationship with him. And in verse 13, Paul writes the famous words <laughs> that are often misquoted, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But look closely, the context, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, is Paul's contentment in his circumstances. Paul can talk about doing all things precisely because he has learned the secret of contentment. The question is, have we? Have we learned that? Are you able to get along happily, to be content in any circumstances you face? Paul knew how to be content whether he had plenty or whether he was in need. The secret was, again, drawing on Christ's power for strength. Do you have great needs? Or are you discontented because you don't have what you want? Learn to rely on God's promises. Learn to rely on Christ's power to help you be content. If you always want more, ask God to remove that desire and teach you contentment in every circumstance. He will supply all your needs but in a way that he knows is best for you. And then, finally, a way to learn how to live a life of genuine friendship is to express the joyful gift. Express the joyful gift. What a strange way Paul has of saying thank you. <laughs> Paul, Paul is grateful for the generous gift from the Philippians, not because of how the gift will help him, but because the gift is evidence that the Philippian church is looking beyond themselves and living a life of generous friendship. The Philippians share this gift with Paul out of their own suffering. And Paul sees their spiritual growth and their generosity, and he isn't so much happy to receive the gift as he is to see their Christian maturity. He's, he's more content and happy about that. When we give to those in need, it not only benefits the receiver, but it benefits us as well. Just think about the times you, we've had missionaries here, and you, you found it in your heart to be able to give a love offering, be part of the love offering for them. And, you know, it, it really settled your heart. It benefited them greatly, but then there was this peace, this, this contentment, this, this feeling from the Holy Spirit that, well done, good job. And you felt maybe a little joy in that as well, too. And it wasn't the Philippians' gift, but their spirit of love and devotion that Paul appreciated most. And I'm sure when missionaries come visit us and they see the generosity, that's what they see as well, too. Spirit of love and devotion that they appreciate most about this congregation. And this congregation has been that way with missionaries as they come. Being able to give generously and, and pray fervently for them. And here we find a second verse that is so frequently used out of context. Verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul says that his God will supply all of their needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, we can, we can trust that God will always meet our needs. Whatever we need on earth, He will always supply, even if it's the, the courage to face death 
as Paul did. Whatever we need in heaven, he will supply. He must, we, we must remember, though, that the difference between our wants and our needs. Most people want to feel good and avoid discomfort or pain. We may not get all that we want. But by trusting in Christ, our attitudes and desires can change from wanting everything to accepting his provision and power to live for him. Paul isn't claiming these riches for himself. He's letting the Philippians know that that because they have shown generosity to him, that his God will supply their needs. How often we quote, though, this verse in relationship to our own needs. It's true that God will supply our needs, but the context of this verse is Paul's great confidence of God's goodness toward the Philippian church. Paul, in prison, is confident of God's goodness to his Christian brothers and sisters. And his prayers are about God blessing and fulfilling the needs of the Philippians, not meeting his own personal needs. This is a beautiful picture of Christians living together in the life of generous friendship. Paul's so happy that his, uh, his students have learned the secrets of contentment and generosity, not because Paul has benefited from the gift, but because these qualities will serve the Philippians for generations to come. So, show true, true concern, learn the secret of contentment, and express the joyful gift. Now, in many ways, the Philippian church was a model congregation. It was made up of many different kinds of people who were learning to work together. But Paul recognized that problems could arise, so in his thank you letter, he prepared the Philippians for difficulties that could crop up within the body of believers. And although a prisoner in Rome, Paul had learned the true secret of joy and peace, imitating Christ, serving others. By focusing our mind on Christ, we will learn the unity, the humility, the joy, and the peace will also be motivated to live for Him. And we can live confidently for Him because we have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. Oh, that we could be a church like this. (laughs) That our actions would be the fulfillment of Christ's work in us, both individually and as a congregation. That we could be the kind of church that that could be a sign of the kingdom of God, both to the community around us, and to our brothers and sisters here all around the world as well. In these last four Sundays, we have only begun to look at how blessed we are to have this letter to study again and again. How blessed we are to have this letter to guide our thoughts and prayers in the future. May God give us the grace to become a living example of this letter individually, and as a church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, but also, too, Lord, what you're about to do as well. Lord, thank you for this book written to the Philippians, this letter written to the Philippians, that we're able to study, look at, and try to put into practice the principles found in this book. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us that motivation to reread the, the, this letter to the Philippians and to put what we learn from this letter into action 
into practice, being doers of your word and not just hearers of your word. Lord, I ask that you would be with each person here today. And Lord, if you've spoken to us in a certain way where we realize we, might, we need to do some work with you, maybe, Lord, you've touched upon something in our lives and we need to respond. I pray, Lord, that we would, of course, respond in prayer. But in our prayers that we respond in obedience, saying, yes, Lord, you're right. I do need to give this over to you. Yes, Lord, you're right. I need to allow you to come in and fix this situation in my life. Whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that we would allow you to have full, full sway in our life. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity right now to be able to do just that. So Lord, as we sing these songs and we need to be praying Maybe there's a moment that we need to spend with you. Thank you that the altars are open and we can pray there. We can pray right where we're at. Lord, I pray that we would spend time with you right now, allowing you to work in our lives, doing what you want through us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.